This is Declan Spring. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, on this podcast, I'm doing something a little different. I am not really talking about real estate at all. This podcast uh, is a conversation with a friend of mine in Point Richmond. His name is Andrew Butt, and Andrew has decided uh, that now is the right time to run for city council uh, in District 2 in the city of Richmond, California. Now, it just so happens that the city of Richmond is my home city. This is where I live. And I recently uh, became a citizen. And this upcoming fall election is my first opportunity to vote as a citizen in the city of Richmond, California. And incidentally, um, I actually can't vote for Andrew Butt because I'm not in District 2. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. So then Andrew's an old friend of mine. So what this is really is it's conversation with a friend of mine uh, who happens to be running for city council here. And uh, man, he's a good talker. This this was a long conversation, but I hope you get some value from it. Uh, we talk about how Andrew and I met and about his father, uh, the current uh, city of Richmond mayor, Tom Butt, in whose footsteps Andrew is clearly following in many ways. We talk about Andrew's growing up in Richmond. Uh, we talk about some city of Richmond history from the Second World War to the present and Andrew's recollection of you know, racial tension as he was growing up um, and the collapse of industry in the middle of the last century and its impact on the population. We touch on redlining. Uh, we talk about Andrew's family history of public service and then his studying for architecture in Arkansas and his eventual return home to work at his family's architecture firm in Point Richmond. We talk about Andrew's start in community service in Richmond, uh, the Point Richmond Music Summer Concert Series, his work as an appointee to the Planning Commission, that was in El Cerrito and in Richmond, and his participation with the Design Review Board in Richmond. We talk about NIMBYism and its contribution to the housing shortage. We talk about Andrew's reasons for getting into local politics. We talk a good deal about Point Malate in Richmond. Now, you might want to look up Point Malate, and I do have a link in the show notes. Um, so we talk about that a lot, and we talk about Andrew's opposition to... Um, to the Richmond Progressive Alliance. So you might want to look up the Richmond Progressive Alliance, the RPA. That's the political group currently holding power at city council level uh, in Richmond. And I do have a link in the show notes. We talk about Rosie the Riveter National Historic Park and other preservation efforts. Um, we talk about the challenges of getting good information and unbiased reporting. We talk about Andrew's influences and his vision for the city of Richmond, how it might look if there were a revitalization of Richmond's downtown main streets. Uh, we go on 
uh, in rapid fashion to talk about many aspects of city leadership that concern Andrew and are the reasons he's created a 10-point plan and sees now as being an important time to run for office. Uh, we talk about the challenges of social media and the false narratives prevalent in social media that Andrew feels he needs to address. So I hope you enjoy this. Hope you find some value in it. I had a great time chatting with Andrew. And so, uh, yeah, that's enough for me. This is my conversation with Andrew Budd. I'm here with Andrew Budd. Andrew, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I'm excited about it, Declan. You know, I want to say, first of all, I'm not a political commentator. And I'm, this is not going to be a debate. Um, this is the first time I've talked to anybody who's running for any type of public office. And my interests in you are the fact that you and I are friends. And so I, I wanted to approach you because, first of all, I, I see a level of madness in getting involved with local politics. And, but this, this year, for me, is the first year that I can vote. And I live in Richmond. And when you said you were running for council, here's an opportunity to understand my, my local territory here where, where I'm now, you know, a voting citizen. But I can't debate about politics, nor am I going to. What I, what I want, the reason I want to talk to you is because you're somebody I trust, and I want to describe that a little. Um, when I first met you, I was new to Point Richmond, and I think it was about 2007. It's my best guess. Sounds about right. And I arrived here as a newly minted realtor, right? And I had been flailing around in various professions for a number of years, but real estate was going to be the thing because I had a young family just like you, right? That's how we met because right. we were both dads for the first time and going to be for the second time. And, uh, and I had, to be perfectly you know, candid with you, I had just given up drinking and I'd, I'd, I'd had a checkered history with booze and, uh, and it was time to stop and I needed to get involved and I wanted to get involved in my community and I needed to take my mind off that aspect of my life, which had been out of control, and, and I wanted to rein it in. And I thought I'd get involved with community, right? So my broker, who was in Point Richmond at the time, suggested I, I meet with you and get involved in community because you were, he said, he's a community builder, you know, go hang out with Andrew. I, I said, absolutely, right? And so I met you and just thought you were great. And you were involved in so many things. You, you were, uh, what were we doing? Point Richmond Music. So we'll get into all of this stuff. And then I discovered that your family has a, a, a an architecture uh, you know, firm here downtown in Point Richmond. And you were also involved with uh, the local, um, what do they call the architectural committee? I think, yeah, I was on the, the design review board probably at that time, and, and I believe at, I was the president of the business association as well in Point Richmond. That's right. So you were fully involved, and all of these things you were doing, as far as I could see, you were doing out of a genuine interest. This is real grassroots stuff. There was no bias. There was no agenda. There was no personal agenda that I could see, and you were just a, a good guy trying to bring people together and trying to benefit the local community. So so I, I've known you as that person for years, so now this involvement with local politics, I don't have any cynical view of having some sort of agenda, right? Like, you know, I'm, I don't trust politicians, to be honest, generally. Me neither. There's a, right? There's, um, 
there's just too many toxic politicians. It's just the, the field is just full of, of toxic personalities looking for power grabs and all sorts of stuff. So I didn't feel that that was you. So that's kind of how we met. And that's why I felt it was a good idea to approach you. And we could talk about your interest in, in running, but also, you know, where you come from and all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad your recollection and mine um, are aligned. And uh, I know you're born and raised locally, right? So, so you're, you're truly a Richmond native, right? Let's yeah. talk a bit about yeah. your Yeah, and first of all, Declan, um, congratulations on your citizenship. I know that's, that's a big deal and, and a big step, and I think that's pretty darn cool. Um, and also on, on your, um, I know long ago now, um, your, your uh, ability and strength to give up alcohol, because I've had my own issues with it over the years as well. So I applaud that. Um, and unfortunately, I have to tell you, I think you, I, we talked about this already, but because of the district, the districts, the district elections in Richmond, um, which is, is a pretty new thing that we'll get into later, um, you will not be able to vote for me. But anyway, uh, yeah, th th thanks for that bit of background. We, we do go back quite a ways now. And, and yeah, we, we were in the, in the midst of, of having young kids and about to have growing families and, and, and all of that and, and a busy time in our lives and our, our careers. Um, which has not slowed down, I think, for either of us. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I was. I tell people I was born and raised in Richmond. Um, technically, and then I, and then I, my wife always laughs at me because then I go on to elaborate. Well, technically, I was born in Berkeley, but I grew up in Richmond. Okay. Um, so I, my parents were living in Richmond at the time. Um, I, most of my life, um, I've lived, you know, um, within a, a few block radius from, from you know, the heart of Point Richmond. Um, so the, I, I was born in 74 um, and at Alta Bates in Berkeley. Uh, my mom was going to UC Berkeley at the time, uh, pursuing her master's in city planning, which she never really put to use. But um, so so I was born in Berkeley in the hospital, but but right. all the rest was in Point Richmond. Yeah. Right. OK, OK, yeah. OK. My daughter was born in Alta Bates, my oh, eldest really? daughter, by the way. It's a great place to be born. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I do like, um, it's funny because I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Berkeley these days. I, I, I love that I was born in Berkeley. It's kind of a cool thing because um, obviously Berkeley, you know, they had a lot of pretty cool things going on historically. But, but I, I kind of despise going into Berkeley these days just because, like, traffic's so bad. Um, it's just so damn crowded. And, yeah. I, and I, I have to go there a lot because I, I do a lot of work for UC Berkeley on the campus, which, which I actually enjoy going to. But, but, but getting to and from there, especially going on, you know, the Gilman exit, which is just – it just puts you in an awful mood. And it's like there's just too many people. There's too much trash. There's too many cars. And people are all yeah. kind of angry at each other, which is ironic because Berkeley seems like it's kind of a hippy-dippy, laid-back place. But it's no, – You <laughs> it's know, not. yeah, no, there's – the cities, you know, the cities have changed a lot since, you know, the, the popular notion of what they are, you know, from the 60s is no longer true. and. And I agree. Let's. So, I want to bring up one thing real quick, just to get it out of the way, and we'll and we'll circle back sure. to it. But uh, your parents, your father, started this firm that you work at, right? Interactive Resources, an architectural firm, and then you went on to become an architect, and you work at the firm. And your father was a councilman, city councilman, and a community builder, uh, and is now mayor, and had had something of a an amazing. Uh, mayor's campaign when he when he was elected and and here you are you know follow your dad you're your father's son is what i'm trying to say 
And, and I bring that up because I want to circle back to it a little bit later, and we will. We'll find time for it. Is that that's one of the aspects about chatting with you that I find must, must be difficult for you. Uh, and, and, you know, I just want to, I want to dip into that and unpack that later. But that's, that's where, and your parents are from, where are your parents from again? Yeah, we, we might need a, a uh, like a psychiatrist couch to do that. Um, <laughs> I'll try. Uh, yeah, so, so my, my parents are both from, well, interestingly, <clears throat> they're, they're sort of both from Arkansas, but, but actually my mom grew up in Memphis. She was born in Arkansas, uh, grew up, spent her whole, whole young life in Memphis, which is just right across the, the, the Mississippi River. Um, her, both her parents were from Arkansas, born and raised, but down in the Delta, so the southeast part of the state. And um, my dad, my dad's side of the family was from northwest Arkansas, up in the, the opposite corner of the state. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was born, they, they were both born in 1944 during the war, and both of their parents were, were in various aspects of, of serving in the military. So as a result of that, um, my dad was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where my wife is from as well. Um, okay. And my mom grew up in Memphis. Okay, so they, interesting. They were sort of, I mean, it, it's really the south, but, but northwest Arkansas is kind of somewhat midwest as well. But Okay, and I know you love it there, and, and you've spent time there studying... And yeah, yeah, I, I, I do love it there. Um, and my, like I said, my wife is from there. Um, I, I went to architecture school there. So which was which five years, you know, between 1992 and 1997. And then I worked in my first uh, architectural firm there out of school for, for a bit. Um, and yeah, it's it, you, you brought up an interesting point, which is certainly true is that I, I and it's something that, that I think I've struggled with, um, not not like in a bad way, per se, but but right. with with people's perceptions and with my own, um, you know, sort of like direction in life is, is that I, I have by and large very much followed my father's footsteps. Right. Yeah. And, and, and my father is, you know, he's kind of an outsized guy that that's, that's led this, you know, largely political life for the last <clears throat> 30 plus years. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he's someone who I really have a deep amount of respect for and appreciation. Right. Um, but, I, but I didn't necessarily set out to like follow my father's footsteps. It just sort of happened that way. And, and we can probably, you know, get into, um, to picking apart why that has happened. Well, you know, as, as your friend, you know, I, I want you to rest assured in knowing that when I first met you and I saw what you were doing and what came naturally and effortlessly to you and just what gave you joy in in the community building we were involved with it, i knew it was just a matter of time i mean the writing was on the wall many many years ago so you know the the, uh, the influence um you know of your dad and your respect for him and your aspiration to to do what you're doing it's it's entirely your own you're very separate you know and uh, that's very very clear to me so but you you have followed and so yeah, I love all this history on your family. What was it like growing up in Richmond? I'm curious. I, you know, as you know, I'm a Dublin, Ireland native, and and uh, I'm curious what it was like to be born and raised here. What was the experience of growing up, and how did it shape you? Yeah, I mean, it certainly did shape me. There's no question about that. Um, exactly how I probably could try to explain, but but I'm not sure I could do it thoroughly because there's probably aspects that, that, that are that are a little hard to explain. But, um, you know, it was great. I mean, I, I, I was born in 74, so I just turned 48. Um, and, uh, you know, Richmond at that time 
was was a pretty rough and tumble area. I mean, it had been largely, you know, so just kind of backing up to there's this really important piece of history in Richmond, which is the role that it played during the Second World War. Yes. When, um, you know, the big thing going on was Henry Kaiser was building ships, right? Okay. And, and, and it kind of put Richmond on the map. It's something that's still this, this legacy. Now there's a national park celebrating it. Um, right. But, you know, it, 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 was, it was sort of a, a double-edged sword because... At at the one, at, on one hand, um, it Richmond became this boom town, right? Yeah. It was already it had some industrial, some big industry. It had you know Standard Oil and now Chevron. You had the, you had the railroad here. So back in when it, when Richmond was kind of becoming a place around the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, yeah, um, there was there was pretty quickly a lot of interest in that it would be this sort of industrial hub of the of of the West Coast, um, yeah. And and that largely happened, um, and and then you know in in the early forties, late thirties, um, when the shipyards came here, it just like overnight exploded, and you had tens of thousands of workers coming out from mostly the, the South, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, to work right. in the shipyards. Similar to West Oakland, right? very similar, yeah, and yeah. and and yeah, other other kind of industrial hubs on the West Coast, um, and then after the war. There was no use for these shipyards, and and uh, they they largely closed down overnight. And right. all these predominantly African American people, but also you know poor whites, um, a real mix of, of of people, but mostly you know people that were pretty poor before the war. They came that they had these great jobs. Um, it was it was still a rough life, but but there yeah. was a, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of construction. Um, and then all of a sudden the rug got yanked out from under them and they're mm. left here, you know, with, with a skill set that that's maybe doesn't translate to the needs of the day. Um, and, and in a foreign place that, that was certainly better than, than, you know, the Jim Crow South that they left, but, right. but the, the jobs weren't there and the money wasn't there and it, and it became a big struggle. And within, you know, within a decade or so. Uh, Richmond sort of fell into disrepair. The 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 downtown was was largely abandoned, um, and you know, and and even even more affluent areas like the Point, where I grew up, um, you know, in the seventies, w- was largely boarded up. There were people living in in the storefronts. Uh-huh. Um, there just wasn't a lot going on, and and right. there and there was um, you know, there was a series of race riots. There, the the Hell's Angels were were a very, were a daily presence, um, and right. there were a lot of there were still a lot of bars because it's always been you know a hard drinking, hard working town. Right. And so it was it was sort of just this interesting place that that I think was still. I mean, my parents were, were fascinated by it, right? That they they were living in Mill Valley at the time. I think my mom was going to UC Berkeley, and so they'd drive through here. And this is before the freeway was in. Right. And they were intrigued by it, right? And uh, you know, they they ultimately decided that it was a pretty cool place that they wanted to have a go at it, and and right. you know, so they did. Um, and I think my dad had this vision that, that, you know, there, there was a lot of potential here and that, you know, that it could be, you know, something like a Sausalito or, you know, uh-huh. uh, that, that, that there, it was on the waterfront, you know, that, that it was just had a lot of cool stuff that, that could be, um, really, uh, polished and made great. And, and yeah. some of that has come about, you know, yeah. but, but just to, to, to actually answer your question <laughs> that I, I'm now remembering, you know, it, it was a great place to grow up and, and because of, some of that kind of decaying industry, it made it a really kind of cool, exciting place that was a great place to be a kid because, 
you know, we sort of, this is, you know, the, the late seventies, early eighties. And we, you know, we get on our bikes, we'd stay out until after dark, you know, we, we didn't play video games. We, we were, it was a very different than, than my kids growing up. We, we went out and we sort of looked for adventure and, and right. adventure was there to be found. Right. So, you know, there, there was an abandoned brickyard at what's now called Brickyard Cove it was then too, but, but it's all gone now. There's condos around it. Right. But, but when I was growing up, it was this sort of fenced off decayed factory that you could go and sneak in and, 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 you know, there was all kinds of like remnants of, of, you know, the, when it was like it was just left one day and all, all the bricks were there, the books, the books were there, yeah. um, you know, keys hanging on on hooks and, and you could just explore this place. And it was like right. this netherworld that was just, you know, fantastical. Um, there, there was a rock quarry that, again, now has a housing development around it yeah. that we would go and, and swim in. You know, we'd skinny dip, we'd drink beer, we'd have bonfires. There was this rotting like steel structure that, that was that right. was, you know, you could do like a triple flip off of. Um, and <laughs> I know, uh, I know and, if your kids watch Stranger Things. Oh, my my son is loving it right now. He, he's just totally binging it. And, and it's awesome to like because that was kind of my childhood without yes. the sci fi aspect of it. Right. But, you know, you, you could sort of imagine that because it, it was a little like scary like i mean you know we, there was a time where we were exploring that brickyard i was telling you about and there was a guard there that like you know shot a shotgun in the air and you know we're yeah. just like running <laughs> like oh shit we're gonna die right uh so i mean it it was an adventurous fun really cool place to grow up yeah um and and then you know to some degree when i was a kid with my parents but then you know getting into high school being able to drive you realize like wow, like the Bay Area has a ton to offer, right? We can go take Bart over to the city. We can go to an A's game. And you just sort of like head the run of this like yeah. phenomenal urban area um, that, that was just full of really cool and fun and interesting things to do. Having said all that, um, there, there was in those days and still is, I think, today as well, but it's different. Um, there was a lot of racial tension. Yeah. So, you know, we grew up mostly white kids of, you know, middle-income parents in this historic Point Richmond town where, where the city started, right? And there's right. all these neat old buildings, and it's pretty well-kept. Again, in those days, it, it was a little rougher than it is now, but, but, but by and large, it was a pretty, pretty safe, pretty nice place. Right. Um, you know, a few blocks away, literally across the tracks right. in the Iron Triangle, um, and, you know, kids that you went to school with, you know, would, would have situations where, you know, their friends were shot and killed. They were involved in a shooting. Um, th right. This was like literally almost a daily, uh, certainly a, a weekly occurrence where, where it was like, right. oh, there's a drive by. You know, my, my friend's dad got shot and killed. Uh, these things happened. And right. and and that, you know, was always so it was this kind of weird dichotomy where it was like this really cool, fun, adventurous town but the 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 greater sort of um things that were going on that have to do with poor urban areas was always right there mm. and and mm -hmm. and and i you know i un, unlike a lot of the kids that i grew up with um because my parents felt really strongly mm. about you know um being a part of this diverse city and and going to public schools and things like that i was like oftentimes the only white kid on, on the baseball team mm. or, you know, um, I, I, I knew kids that, that had a very different upbringing than mm. me. And, and that, you know, I, and I, and I, I got to understand, I think that, that, you know, that I had some privilege that they didn't have. Well, we didn't have the words then that we, you know, that we have now, you know, the modern, you know, vernacular includes all types of, uh, 
uh, you know, well, white privilege, and we have we have all we have all this language now around this stuff. Also, you know, we're heavy with the history and the knowledge of redlining, which I'm sure played an impressive role in keeping people, you know, within that area we call the Iron Triangle. Yeah, and uh, and and I know from talking with uh, Liam O'Donohue, who does a great uh, podcast, East Bay. Yesterday, we were talking about that. how the Ford Motor Company, when they moved to, I think. Um, well, just they moved further south, but the uh, they moved to an area where where there was no availability of housing for for the African American workers from Richmond, so they couldn't move with the plant, and they, they and you know it was yet another blow to that community, uh, you know, based on their inability to to to, to have any uh, housing available to them, you know, within within um, access to work and all that kind of thing, so. But as a kid, you're growing up. Of course, you, you, this is this is just your world, and you haven't analyzed it or torn it apart, right? You you grow no. up understanding and and getting further into your life and beginning to understand the, you know, the challenges like the collapse of the, oh my God, the shipbuilding, uh, the collapse of that, the Ford Motor Company, and then these people just literally having nowhere to go and having no employment is just. It, it could never really have been a Sausalito, could it? <laughs> Probably not. Although, although Sausalito did did have a similar history, um, it would be interesting to, to to dissect kind of why why that became what it became, right? Which is Marin City. You're right. Well, yeah, and there were shipyards there. There was a there was a, a lot of industry there. There was a train that came through there. All that's long gone. Yeah. And and you know now it's. What one of the one of the probably wealthiest communities in the in the whole country? Absolutely. But you do have Marin City right there, so you so do. you you kind of have that same a similar dichotomy that yeah. you have in Richmond. But in that case, it's sort of the opposite in that you know Marin City is surrounded by you right. know the the wealthiest people in the world, right? Um, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, so so Richmond sort of you know it's like you have this pocket of, of, you know, wealthy white people in the point, And then it's surrounded by, you know, industry and, and neighborhoods that at least in the eighties were very violent and, yes. you know, were, were, were basically just, you know, impoverished and, and the people, you know, were, and, and to some degree continue to, to suffer from that poverty, you know? Yeah. And, and, and they, 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 it's kind of interesting, like the, the housing crisis that we're in today, right. And, and, and Richmond, like a lot of communities in the East Bay, Oakland, you know, you, you, you can't help but see the, the homeless situation, how bad it is. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, they're, they, they largely solved that during that time because they, the needs were so great that they had to. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's, there still were people like sleeping in cardboard boxes and, and pipes and things like that. That did happen. But they also literally overnight, you know, built a ton of housing um, yeah. and it was, it was put up quickly. It, it, it was, you know, it was well built, but it wasn't built to last. And so they, they housed all these workers mm -hmm. and when they didn't need the workers anymore, they tore down the housing mm -hmm. and basically said, you know, good luck, figure it out, you know? And, and like you, like you alluded to, there certainly was redlining in Richmond. A lot of this, I, I only learned as an adult, <clears throat> but, but you know, some of the nicer neighborhoods like um, Atchison village yeah. um, were, were white only. And so, you know, they, they, they very much, um, you know, a, a lot of that kind of the, the bad things that went on in the Jim Crow South were yeah. still happening in, in the East Bay, mm -hmm. you know, even in the 1940s and 50s. So um, it, it's an interesting history that, that uh, is worth delving into, you know, as a whole separate subject. Absolutely. No, but it's all part of, you know, it's all part of this community that you are now, you know, looking to, to represent. And at a certain point, your dad became involved in 
politics. And so I can only imagine that, uh, you know, the politics was discussed in the household and local politics in particular. And, you know, you, you had a growing awareness of whatever inequity was here and of the problems that were here and of the agendas that people have and just of politics in general. And that must have been interesting. And, you know, you would have been unaware that you were learning that stuff because it was just what was happening in your house and in your world. But looking back on it, um, what are your memories of, you know, your first awareness of politics and, and local inequity and all of that kind of thing? It's an interesting point. And, and certainly there, there was that. Um, and, it, you know, the, it, it makes me question, like, why would I ever want to go into politics, given what I know? Because right. politics, I, I, like you, I, I really um, am turned off by most politicians. Um, and, you know, uh, I have and, and Richmond politics tend to be really bad, really just, you know, a lot of mudslinging, a lot of dirt, um, a lot of special interests, a lot of special interest money. Um, you know, and that kind of comes with the territory when you've got these these big corporations like Chevron who have a lot of a lot invested in making sure that you know they're able to to keep their profits flowing. Yeah. Um, and and that just sort of sets the table for for some really dirty politicians and dirty politics. And and I've seen it. I've experienced it. Um, wow. You know, I, I think yeah. Anyways, but um, you know, it, it's interesting. I think I I don't remember growing up that that my dad was all that political or that it was something that we, you know, talked about at the dinner table. Um, although I, I do come from a political family, sort of, I mean, my, 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 my great grandfather, my dad's grandfather was the, the long, <clears throat> I think he served something like, you know, five or six terms as mayor of this, this really cool little town in Northwest Arkansas called Eureka Springs. Really? Um, he, he was on the Arkansas, I believe state Senate for a while. Um, mm. And then he, he was an attorney, you know, for, for a long, long time. I believe he was in the Guinness book of world records for like the, the longest serving attorney. And then really? my, my grandfather, his son, my, my, my dad's dad, um, also in Arkansas was, was a, was a judge and, you know, elected judge. Uh, so not, not a politician in the sense that he was like a council person or a Senator or anything like that, but, but he, he definitely had to run and was, you know, po in a political position for, for most of his life. Um, and he, he similarly, um, set records that I think are still hold for the longest serving judge in the state of Arkansas. Um, and so, so, so there, there's something I think maybe in my blood that, Clearly, that just sort of like, I, I just can't help it. <laughs> um, but, but my dad really didn't get into politics, um, in terms of being an elected official until after I was out of high school. I think I was in college at the time mm. when he first ran and he lost his first race for city council. And then he won a second has been on since. Mm. Um, so, so I, I was sort of out in the world living my life, mm. uh, when he, when he, technically quote unquote became a politician got gotcha. you um, okay but but he was always involved and and he and it's interesting i was looking now that i'm running and and i don't consider myself a politician and maybe i will never be if i lose a selection or, or decide I, I, something i don't want to pursue um you know i don't know I, there's a lot that i that still totally turns me off about the whole thing um but but at the same time i'm i feel called you know and i feel like i'm going to give it a shot we'll see what happens yeah um but, uh, you know, he, he was always really involved, spent a ton of his time, um, you know, doing things like, you know, 
being on the board of the Boy Scouts of America, being president of Rotary, uh, being on the um, you know PTA president, Point Richmond Business Association president. He, he was president or on the board of like you know twenty or thirty different civic. Mm-hmm minded groups uh prior to actually getting into politics so i think the trajectory was was there you know as i was growing up right um and you know and so i I saw him you know doing these things getting involved you know um he 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 had and still has this like uncanny ability that i don't think i have but but people say that i do maybe i i strive to um just to like get involved in so many different things and, and, yeah. uh, you know, just mm-hmm. like see something that, that needs your help and, mm-hmm. and, you know, pitch in and, and get involved and mm-hmm. sit on a board, which I've done plenty of myself, but, but I also, um, like from time to time just kind of have to say, well, I need to back off. I, I, I need, I, I got to mm-hmm. spend time with my family. Right. Uh, there's too many damn meetings, uh, and, and, you know, things tend to, to sometimes get uncomfortably, um, nasty, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I just don't like that. I, I really generally like to kind of have fun and get along with people. Right. And, and I find that, that when you get into <laughs> political situations, um, that, that becomes nearly impossible. Of course it does. And, and it's only gotten worse with social media. I think oh it's God. gotten on, I mean, it's just compounded every, every disgusting aspect of political discourse is so much worse thanks to social media and the way the algorithms work against our being able to unite. It's just disgusting. I mean, it's the only word for it. Um, and, but, you know, I would say that you are somebody that I've seen to, sh- to be effortless in, in, in how you carry yourself in, in, in public service. It just comes naturally. And not only that, uh, but you're somebody that I see when, when you're doing this stuff and being a public service that you're present in it. You, you're not, your mind isn't somewhere else. Like you're actually present in trying to serve, which I really like. So I would say it does come naturally to you, you know, and, and sure your dad's been an influence and, you know, but he's a different person. It does come naturally to you, you know, and, and, uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think it does. And, and it's something that I, I do. I do feel like for, for whatever reason that I really can't explain <clears throat> that I am good at, you know, there's a lot of things I know I'm not good at I, I, that, that I wish I wore like, you know, playing music, right. Um, telling jokes, uh, <laughs> acting, um, you know, sports, right. That, that, that I, not that I'm like horrible at, but, but I, I just know, I know, and I've always known, like, these are things that, that I'm not good at. Right. I can try. I mean, I, I you know, you know, I, I, I like to play the guitar, um, and I like to pick it up, keep a guitar around the house, but right. you know, I just can't, like, I can't memorize a song. I can't, I can't learn more <laughs> than, than, you know, six or seven basic chords. Yeah. And so it's funny because people are like, Oh, you're really good. And I'm like, well, yeah, not really, but thanks. I mean, th- any of us who know you and your family, you, you support music. Your 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 dad has a, a big to do every year where he brings in local musicians and throws a barbecue for everybody, you know, who can fit in the in the space up there on the hill. And and so you you know you're you're, you're supporters of that that part of the arts, you know, for sure. Right. And, yeah. Uh, spe- speaking of Chevron, that they call it the Refinery Town Bluegrass and Barbecue Party. And yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I've been invited many, many years in a row. And I think I've only made it twice. But, uh, you know, I try every year, you know, but I work on a Sunday. So or yeah, Saturday yeah, exactly. or whatever it is. But so so, so the political so the, that side of your father 
wasn't something that, that, that you saw really come come into play until you left high school. So you went off. What happened after high school? Yeah, so so I went. I, I actually didn't go to high school in Richmond. I, I At the time, this was 1988, <clears throat> I believe, when I got out, got out of middle school. Which, and I, so I went to middle school at, uh, it no longer exists, but it was Port Love Junior High, uh, 7th and 8th grade. I went to school all the way through there in Richmond with, with one odd little, um, like, hiccup that, that put us in Florida for a few months. And I attended school down in, like, South Florida, which was interesting. Wow. Um, but other than that, it was all, all in Richmond. I attended, let's see, one, two, three different elementary schools in Richmond uh-huh. um, for, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and, and then I went to middle, they called it um, <clears throat> junior high in El Cerrito, Portola. Okay. And then, and then I, I was, they always change the rules, and this still happens to this day. It's really frustrating. Um, the school district is a whole other issue worthy of It of really is. But, um, it really is. So, so basically, I was going to go to Kennedy, which was going downhill fast, was just not, not a place that was, for me um, and my parents, really conducive to, to – to success and um so i went to saint mary's in berkeley for one year catholic high school at that time it was all boys now it's now it's boys and girls okay um, I, I didn't like it at all my friends were all primarily at el cerrito high and so then they changed the rules again and i was allowed to transfer to el cerrito which is in the same district as, uh-huh. as all the richmond schools west contra costa Unified. west contra costa school um, district and so That's i went right. there for for 10th 11th and 12th grade so graduated graduated from el cerrito high yeah and then um, at that time, I'm trying to remember. So this was <clears throat> 92. And I think I, I had always thought about, you know, either going in like being a lawyer, being a veterinarian. I, I loved animals and still do. Um, and, I, and I ultimately decided that I would do the architecture route. You know, I, I always loved art. Um, <clears throat> I liked the idea that, that it was kind of this combination of business art and um, engineering. Yes. And I, I'm, I was certainly better at the art part than either engineering or yeah, business. Yeah, you're a pretty good artist, actually. Well, yeah. I don't practice much. I think without practice, it goes away. But but thank you. Um, and uh, so so I went to University of Arkansas. I, I, I applied to a number of schools. My top desired school was Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, uh-huh. um, both because it's a great place and it's a, it's a great architecture school. But I didn't have the grades or the test scores to get in, and and my grades and test scores were were not too bad, but but mm-hmm. it, it was highly competitive. Yeah. Um. So I went to the University of Arkansas, where I had you know my I had spent a lot of summers there. My dad grew up there. My grandfather was still there, still alive, um, and and I liked it. I I I, I knew it well. It was kind of like a, a second home. Yeah. Um, it was yeah. different than the Bay Area, which was kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I went there and there, it was a five year, what they call a um, professional degree. So a lot, a lot of architecture schools, you have to then go and get a master's if you actually want to be a licensed architect. But, but Arkansas and a lot of others are, have this five year professional degree, which you end up with a BARC or a Bachelor's of Architecture. Um, <clears throat> which you can then go straight into practice. Um, okay. And then and then after three years of apprenticeship, you get your license. So I spent s- about six, almost seven years there yeah. um, because wow. I, I hmm. took, I, I met my now wife um, and, and that wasn't why I, you know, it took me longer necessarily, but it certainly played into it. Um, and then, you know, I decided to take a little time off and work. Um, I dropped out of a, of a studio that I wasn't enjoying and just kind of slowed down a bit, took a breath and then went back and finished up. So, so I graduated like 
yeah. a, a half of the, I guess five and a half years. So, so I, I actually graduated December of 97 uh-huh. where my cohort had graduated the, the, you know, the fall before that. I have, I have some, uh, you know, questions that come to mind for me about your, you, the period of time you lived there. Um, you know, so there, there was a certain, as you said, there was a tension here that you, I don't know how aware you were of it, but by, by university age, you were probably aware, you said the racial tensions that mm-hmm. were present in Richmond when you were growing up. And then, you know, then you're down in the South. Right. And, you know, what was it different? Could you notice a different political climate, a different, a different sense of culture in the white community around uh around race i mean yeah was, was there yeah. just i'm <clears throat> curious about that well i mean it was certainly different and and i think I, I, the 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 racism there was, was a lot more i would say overt and blatant you know i mean you, you saw things like people driving down the street with a confederate flag um and and didn't think a whole lot about about it um okay the, the that community northwest arkansas fayetteville specifically there, there really aren't a lot of there weren't and there aren't a lot of african-americans there um like there is in richmond uh, most of the and it's it's interesting because a lot of the black families in richmond did come from arkansas uh, yeah but they came from the southern part down mm-hmm. the delta you know they were sharecroppers they were farmers mm-hmm. um and so that but the but because the university <clears throat> is in fayetteville you know mm-hmm. you did have a, lo- a lot of the black youth attending university of arkansas mm-hmm. um but it tended to be pretty segregated in the mm. sense that you know everyone sort of like the, the for the most part the 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 black students didn't intermingle a lot with the white students mm. and I, I think that's probably changed a lot now or well, maybe not a lot but i think it's changed for the better um <clears throat> and you know and i, I was in a fraternity there um which i i didn't enjoy all that much mm. um but but at the same time it was a good way to meet people you know because i didn't really know anybody there yeah um, but you know there, y- you had parties that were sort they weren't racist themed but they were southern themed and i mm. think they're 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 i'm not saying everybody was but there were certainly people who i knew um and and saw daily who, who were straight up racist and were mm. perfectly fine with it and open about it yeah um and and i that that was weird for me having grown up in an area where, where you know i i had a lot of black friends mm. um at the same time richmond you know was and and still is to some degree pretty segregated too i mean you know point well, richmond yeah. you, you you don't see a lot of people of color here although interestingly lately um that's starting to change where a lot of the local business owners are african-american and or Mm -hmm. you know latino um indian american Mm -hmm. um but but by and large you know you still kind of have neighborhoods that that are you know predominantly african-american or predominantly latino or predominantly Mm -hmm. white and and that's something that i really uh would like to see change and i you know to to improve um Mm -hmm. so it's not just a, a thing that's in the south no it, absolutely you know, it, not it, it, no the, the the redlining and and all of the various things i mean to this day there's still we actually added just you know this is just a trivia piece of information but it's interesting we we added a new document to our canon of of you know various uh, disclosures that we have to provide now in a real estate transaction is the is the fair appraisal act uh, you know, and there that needs to be signed and recognized by everybody in, in a real estate residential real estate transaction now mm. because of the conversation around, you know, about around racist uh, housing practices and, and all that stuff. 
And, uh, and the National Association of Realtors came out last year with an apology for how they behaved uh, back in the day and were in more in support of, you know, racist, uh, you know, housing policy. So, yeah, yeah it, it was it was bad here. Every it was bad. It was yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think it's it's kind of an uncomfortable conversation to be having, you know, I'm mean, not you and I right now, but just generally in, in our society, because there is so much history there there's a, there's there's so much like angst and and you know um just just a, a really horrible history of of bad things that were done and that and that still persists you know that 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 in our culture today still linger yeah um, but but i think it's good that that these discussions are being had you know yeah um because i think it's important and it's important for you know for uh, well you you're in Ireland, I don't know. That's probably totally different, but yeah. But you know that 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 those of us who who you know weren't necessarily around when these things were happening, you know. But but our our ancestors were, and and you know sure. we we have to I think come to terms with the fact that you know we the, the, the white privilege does exist. That that things like um, you know racial bias are real, um, yep. and and that you know that that they're were and still are a lot of issues around you know policing and and you know um how to address these societal concerns in in a way that, that doesn't continue this kind of um you know perpetuate um, it has, it'll take generational change in my opinion you know i i did grow up in ireland i didn't grow up here but what i saw in my in my time growing up that you know my generation the gen x uh I think, you know, I don't know if you remember Sinead O'Connor ripping up a picture of the Pope on Saturday yeah, Night Baker. Live. Um, oh, yeah. She's my generation. And I, I think, you know, our generation, and uh, I admired her for doing that um, because it was, it was like the end of a certain type of just going along with the Catholic, you know, the dictates from the Catholic Church. And, and it, it, was a, it was just a, it was a generational, you know, time to move on. And, and things really fell apart as far as the Catholic Church yeah. having the greatest authority. Of course, there's what I call cultural Catholics now in Ireland where they, you know, don't have much interest in the religion, but they continue the traditions, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a big thing. But, it, but here it'll, it'll take a generation. Like I, I like how our children, uh, you know, talk about race now. They just won't accept it. There are certain things they just won't accept. It's just yeah. anathema to them. Um, and, I, and I like that. They, they, they simply won't accept it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's an odd thing. It seems like an awful lot of people, depending on what culture you're born into, um, you know, you're, it's, it's, you're, some people are just further along the, the game board than others when they're born, right? They're just, sure, you know, sure. you're just placed further ahead. And other people are just trying to catch up to the start line, right? And that's just right. that's just the nature, and it's systematic, and it's it's uh, I don't know. But you're the one getting into politics. You guys have to come up with solutions. But I I, do, I think I think it you know turnover of the generations is ultimately is 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 where we find real progress with a lot of this yep. stuff. No, I, I agree, and and I, I definitely thinking back on growing up in Richmond. Um, you know, I, I remember vividly that there, you know, there, there were, you know, I had friends whose parents, um, were, and, and I think it wasn't something that it was like out of hatred, but it was like just the, 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 their, uh, rearing, you know, or their, their, their social upbringing 
where they were very racist and, and would, would throw around the N-word or just blatantly say mm. something that was completely racist and inappropriate. Um, and I think these days um, you don't really see that. I, I don't think right. my kids see their friends' parents doing that. For, for right. me, it was like, you know, it was off-putting and it made me feel uneasy, but, you know, I'm certainly right. not going to, I wasn't, at least I wasn't as a, as a eight year old kid or whatever, you know, right. going to, going to have a argument with, with, you know, a 40 some odd year old father of my friend, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that, that, you know, that like that was all my friend's parents, but I definitely, that there were, you know, there, that, that was a thing. And, yeah. and there were, there were a lot of people, I think in the point in those days that, that, um, you know, just didn't, um, didn't have, uh, really a lot of compassion or understanding for, for how tough, uh, people that were growing up, you know, yeah. in, in a totally different context than their own yeah. had it. And, and that compassion wasn't there. And, and, you know, it, it was, yeah. it was, uh, there, there was a lot of racial, uh, <clears throat> tension. Yeah. Well, you know, each generation has its, has its norms. I mean, just, you know, you simply think of like, the state of smoking in, in the seventies yeah. and early eighties when we grew up and it was just, it was normal. Now it's not normal. Yeah. And, and that's also a difficult part of the conversation too, because what's normal in any given generation, you know, appears like insanity to a future generation, you know? And so, uh, so it makes, it makes, um, it makes reparation, uh, something that, uh, is a, really requires an awful lot of uh, skill and careful thinking um, because when you think in terms of reparation you also have to make allowances for what was normal and and that could be hard for people because we're angry about what was normal but right. it, but we're doing things now that are normal right now that yeah. w people will be angry about in the future climate change for one right Absolutely. it's insanity so yeah but it's interesting that you grew up in you know, spent a good deal of your time in the South as a young adult and, and w were able to compare. Did you talk about politics when you were young? Like when you were a teenager, a, a student, you know, that's often a, that's often a, a, a time of one's life when if you're at all interested in, in political discourse, that's, that's a great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I, there was, there was certainly always some interest there. I, I wasn't ever like the, you know, student council, guy or anything like that that, that was not something that I, I was a shy kid man and so i, I kind of like really? yeah dude i was I, 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 it's kind of crazy I, i've sort of taught myself to 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 not i think i think fundamentally i'm sort of the shy introvert huh. and, I, and i've sort of forced myself to to, to huh. you know throw my shell aside and and come out so on the one hand i don't recall that i was like at a young age was like i'm you know politically engaged I, it's something I want to do um right but, but I do think that that it was also sort of ever present again going back to just Richmond being a very politically active place yeah so you know um there there there, there were always things that were happening that 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 in one way or another involved politics and I think it was yeah. hard not to pay attention to that okay so so you come back and you, did you immediately just come out of university and begin working as an architect at Interactive Resources here, your dad's firm? No. Uh, so I, I worked um, first as an 
intern. So w when I was in school summers, I, I would come back here and I, I worked as a, at that time they called it a TA, it was like a technical assistant, basically kind of a, a pre-intern, you know, doing whatever, making copies, you know, right. doing, doing things that were, that did not involve a whole lot of uh, skill. Right. Um, right. So I did have that, but, but when I, when I got out of school, I immediately worked for a firm called uh, Cromwell Architects and Engineers, and they had an office in Fayetteville that was this little satellite office of their big office in Little Rock. Um, and they, their claim to fame was they were the they were the was it the the oldest firm west of the Mississippi. Okay. Um, so you know this old firm, pretty pretty large, um, that that had this big office and the big presence down in, in the big metropolis of Little Rock, Arkansas, uh -huh. um, and then had the satellite office with two brothers, Thad and Bob Kelly, who ran this little office in Fayetteville. And so it was a pretty laid back affair, you know, and uh -huh. I, I, I would usually, um, you know, it was a, well, we lived out in the woods, uh, about, uh, a 10 minute drive from campus, but you know, I'd come into town and, um, it was right on the, on the old historic town square and, uh -huh. um, they, they were great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed working for these guys and, and I got to do some fun stuff. You know, I, I, I did in those days got to practice my artistic capabilities. So I would, you know, do sketches of, of building designs and, um, yeah. you know, I, I cut my teeth there and it was great. I, I did that for, uh, so I finished school in 97. I worked there for about two years, um, while my wife was finishing her degree, which she, she, she's three years younger than, than I am and was three years behind me in school. Okay. So, so I kind of waited, uh, worked at my first job there and, uh, it, it was great. I, I liked it, but, but, it, but I gradually, um, really got kind of homesick for California and, okay. and a lot of my friends who, who had been in school had, you know, they, they, they had left the nest and were, you know, working at, you know, a lot of them actually came to California and they were all over Chicago, you know, the East coast. Uh, but they, they were no longer around. And, uh, so I was just kind of like ready to get out of there. It was time to, to go back home. You've stayed in architecture, so I I still need to know when you actually started working at your dad's firm because I just want to you know thread the needle on that. But you you've stayed in architecture, and you you've stayed with this career your whole life. So there must be something fulfilling and satisfying about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep doing it. I've had a string of uh, unsuccessful careers uh, until I got into real estate, and it seems to have stuck. Yeah, well, you're a great photographer, and you get yeah. to do that now more for fun, which is awesome. I do that for fun. Absolutely right. Yeah, I would never, I would never kill my passion for photography by trying yeah. to, you know, do I, it professionally. I, I think I've about killed my passion for architecture by doing it for as long as I've had, I have. But, but yeah, seriously, um, you know, it, it is. I, I, I do enjoy, you know, and and the the challenges, you know, have changed. So, so now I do a lot less of, you know, design and really direct involvement with, with architectural projects. And I do a lot more of strategic planning and firm management and, and, uh, people management okay. and, and business development, which, which I don't like as much as the design part, but, but at least it's kind of new and different. And, um, you know, it, it, it allows, for me to learn new skills and to do things that, that are different than, you know, what I did 10, 20 years ago. Um, is, you, is your dad still here full time? Well, he's here a lot of the time. Okay. Um, he, 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 he kind of went down to like a 20 or 30 hour work week um, when he became mayor, which is eight years ago. Uh -huh. um, because that, that was taking a lot of demands on his time, but, but he, he still, uh, works a lot and still does a lot of work for the firm and still, um, you know, is probably by far 
the biggest revenue generator of the firm. Uh-huh. Um, what he doesn't do and was adamant about that he was not going to do anymore is, is manage the firm. Uh-huh. And, and so he, he, you know, he, he, he kind of, he, he has very specialized expertise in, in things related to, um, building, uh, science and technology and, and, you know, investigating building failures, leaks and slab cracks and things like that. Mm. And has done a lot of that over the years. And so he, he, d- he takes on those types of projects and he's kind of the only person that, in the firm that does it anymore. Mm. Um, and he, he, you know, he has, and has had for most of his life, a passion for historic preservation. And so mm. he, he does some of that still. So, so even though, so back to your, you were saying you were asking about when I started here it was it was around two thousand, um, and you know we we have worked closely, but but we sort of do get okay. to do our own things, um, okay. which which is not it allows for us to work well together because we're not just at each other's necks all the time, right? Um, but what happened was the combination of me kind of being ready to leave I mentioned, and uh, and a, a perfect storm of um, a, a, an economic boom and the, the dot-com boom actually, right? Oh, sure. This okay. was around 2000. Yeah, I um, remember it. And so what happened was a lot of his employees, architects, drafters, engineers, um, were wooed to, you know, bigger paychecks and, and maybe more exciting projects. Yeah. And so they went to work, you know, all over the Bay area, San Francisco, San Jose. And he was like left in a, in a situation where he needed, help desperately right and he's like he i think he called me and said hey i could really use your help out here what Uh do you think and i was like car's packed i'll be there in (laughs) three days nice so i i I made that drive which i've done numerous times across the country and uh yeah pretty much been here since okay okay and uh, you know i'm I'm aware of the time here Uh, so i want to push into a little more about your your campaign what's your first recollection of of, uh, you know, doing the kind of work that I, you know, became familiar with, you know, you doing when I, when I first met you, being involved in the community. What was your first foray into that and realizing maybe, I, you know, something that resonated with you and you enjoyed doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember. Um, so so specific to like Point Richard Music, which you mentioned, which I've been the president of the, you know, we, we officially became a 501c3 nonprofit about 10 years ago. And I've been the board president since I've, I've been, you know, obviously very involved um, for 22 years. Um, so that that was around 2001. Um, but I don't think that was my first foray into that sort of thing. Um Although that, that, that is a particularly unique thing that, that, that I, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, it's just such a great thing and I really love doing it. And I, and I, I really like that it, it's not political and mm-hmm. it's not, um, you know, we, we, it doesn't involve a ton of board meetings and, and business, you know, we just kind of, you know, as you know, our motto is the point is music and, right. you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's so fun in that, you know, th- there's hard work involved and there certainly is planning, but, um, but you know, the point really is to just keep it simple and have fun and, and do something that, that everyone's going to enjoy. And, and just and for the benefit of people listening to this, the Point Richmond Music Series is where a group of volunteers come together every year, choose several local bands as much as possible, um, and then uh, I think in about the third week of each summer month, uh, they close down uh, the downtown section, the park place here on downtown Point Richmond. And for a couple of hours on a Friday evening, there's free music for the community. 
And that's that's all it is. And the point is music, as you said. But you concocted that whole thing, did did you? So technically, I think it was, I think it was my dad who kind of came up with this idea. But that's all he did. He, and and it might not. But I'm pretty sure that that's my recollection was that what that it came out of a conversation or something. And you know, I thought, oh, what, it'd be neat to do. You know, put on some concerts. We need to, some brief, right. you know, do something fun in town. And and he sent out an email, I believe to, you know, just sort of like, Hey, if anyone wants to come and talk about doing this, yeah. you know, meet in the office, the room we're in right now. Um, yeah. and a bunch of people showed up and, you know, uh, about maybe 30 people showed up, you know, uh-huh. maybe 10 stuck around and actually made it happen. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was then, and he backed out, he, he just had right. this idea, kind of threw it out there group got together um you know we we did pull it together and and made it happen um and i i was at that time um just one of the people involved um uh-huh. we, we, we were very informal we didn't have a board or anything we were not a, officially a non-profit we were just a group of people that were, were trying to make this happen um and it wasn't until you know several years later that they're sort of gelled into more of an official group and 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 leadership positions right. uh, became and and so um, yeah, it really know. took off. I mean, yeah, and and you know, we, we, but originally um, in the early the early days, the old days, um, we we just as you'll probably recall, I can't remember when you got involved, but I know it was pretty early on. But we we did it here behind our office in a, in a private parking lot, which made it easy yes. um, because you didn't have to deal with all the permitting in the cities and things like that, which has ah. honestly gotten to be, that's probably the, the thing I dislike the most about it is it's gotten to be just kind of a bureaucratic nightmare to put on anymore. Yeah. Um, I think that's what everybody dislikes yeah. most about the Bay area. <laughs> yeah. No kidding, man. Politics. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, but yeah, it grew and grew and, and, you know, we, we intentionally kind of d- tried to not, let it grow too fast and get too out of hand. Um, but, but we did do, um, several years where, where we would do both our monthly free concerts like we do now. And then we would like have this big thing where we closed off all the, the whole downtown, um, yeah. all the streets. And we, we had an all day arts and music festival oh. and it was just too much work. And, yeah. and so we all kind of got together and said, Hey, we're a bunch of volunteers. Let's stick to like, keep it simple do what we know works, not, not try to just grow it and grow it and grow it to some kind of a thing that, that none of us were really comfortable with right. and really wanted to do. So, so that's what we do now. And, and it makes it, you know, again, it's still hard work, but, but it's kind of, we've settled into a pattern that works really well. And, and those of us, yourself included, who pitch in and make it happen, um, you know, we kind of got it down to, to, a, to a science so we can pretty much do it with our eyes closed. And it was so nice to see your, you know, one, at least one of your kids out <laughs> Uh, volunteering to help recently at the most yeah. recent event and putting the chairs out and all. Yeah, that it's not. It was nice for me to see that too. And yeah. and you know, my kids grew up going to this. You know, every year they. I mean, it, they they weren't born until year six or so. Um, yeah. So so you know, my thirteen year old. Well, both my kids, my sixteen year old and thirteen year old, have have been participating in this you know in one way or another since they were infants and yeah now now my daughter's sea scout group is like the volunteer core that that you know which is which is awesome that i think they have fun and and we we need their help and it's just kind of it's it's all this whole thing was and remains about community building you know And, and that's what i love about it i mean if politics were that gosh i i would just eat it up you know but and, but i know that it's not <laughs> and then you were involved in something that was uh, quite a bit more heady i think well point richmond business association 
I, I'm, I mean that that was always an interesting thing. I was involved with that too. But but your your uh, your involvement with the um, the planning. Um, yeah. So I I so that started. Um, so I I as I mentioned, we moved back to the Bay Area around 2000. Um, Kim and I were renting from my parents uh, this little house up the street, and uh, we we were very eager to you know go out on our own, buy a house, you know, forge our own way. <clears throat> and, and honestly do that outside of Richmond because it, cause it, it <laughs> yeah. you know, R- Richmond uh, or point Richmond in particular was where, you know, I was working, we were living, my parents were, my brother's family was, and it's like, and, and er- everyone, you know, knows me and knew me. And it was just like, we needed, we needed, we needed to do our own thing. Right. We were starting a young family. And so we, um, we bought a house in El Cerrito, um, from Red Oak Realty, uh, yep. Pat yep. Leeper and, and Jillian, who were we, freaking we'll awesome. The plug. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, you know, they were, they were phenomenal. And I, I know them going back to long before that mm-hmm. mutual friends, but, um, you should but, listen to my chat with Pat Leeper. You might oh, I would it. love to. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, Pat's great. Jillian too. Um, and, uh, anyway, so, so we bought a house up there. This is 2004 now. So <laughs> the, the market's like just going crazy. Um, we were, we were glad to get in when we did. And then, um, we lived there for four years and that, that's probably honestly when I kind of did start my thinking about like, you know, maybe, maybe I, and I don't know if it was, if it was intentional or something I thought a lot about, but I was kind of like, Hey, I'm in El Cerrito. Um, I should get involved, you know? Mm. Um, and so, so I applied for the planning commission. Um, I'm trying to remember it was a mayoral appointment. I don't remember who the mayor was at that point, but it was 2004, I think maybe Janet Abelson. Um, and I got appointed to the planning commission and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm an architect. Uh, I'm interested in my community. I want to be of service. Mm. Um, and it seemed like something that would be worthwhile. Um, I had prior to that, um, been on the, I think it was before that, the, the Richmond Design Review Board, which, ah. which is which is a lot, it, probably kind of just looking at, you know, houses coming through and, and, and crit- critiquing the design. Um, but the Planning Commission was much more, you know, political and mm. qua- it's a quasi-judicial body that, that, that can carry a lot of weight. In places like Richmond, mm-hmm. it, it is a very political body. In El Cerrito, um, you know, the, the, the liveliest, most crowded, uh, meeting we had was related to a family that had goats in, and, and they, you know, they had all, it was packed with families. They're like, Oh, these, this is the best. They carry my kids around in this little trailer. And, um, and it was, you know, about whether they'd be allowed to have goats on their property, because I think it was like, you know, they're in conflict with, with some old, law sure um and and so you know it, it was just kind of funny it was like they they jam-packed the 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 house and everyone spoke in favor of of having these goats and we, we uh-huh. unanimously approved it and they applauded and it was like it's just funny <laughs> um but mostly it was a relatively small project there, there were starting to be some of the projects that have come down that are now built out uh, around like the BART stations and on San Pablo Avenue, but, okay. but most of them sort of fizzled out. And then so by 2008, the market all of a sudden is about to go over a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when, sorry, we sold it with Red Oak. That's right. And, um, and thankfully, we got one offer. It was slightly over asking and, and, a, and a fairly decent amount over what we'd paid four years prior. And we took it, and and you know, I had like a like a an eighty twenty arm, and I was just about to get, you know, 
totally. Yeah. I, I was very anxious about being in a really bad financial place. Sure. So we, we sold it, you know, moved to the point and, and the rest is history. But that, that, that was kind of my foray into politics was the planning commission. And I, and I enjoyed it. And, and I, I felt like I, um, you know, was being of service. I had something valuable to give. I was engaging with the community. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I probably first started thinking, you know, I could see um, at some point getting more involved and maybe, you know, running for a city council either in El Cerrito or in Richmond. Um, mm. And that, you know, that, that there was some value in that. Okay. And you got involved with the design review board in Point Richmond or in Richmond? Well, it wasn't Point Richmond. No. Um, it, it was the city of Richmond. So they have the design review board and the planning commission, two separate okay. bodies. The design review board, again, looks more at like kind of architectural design and the planning commission is more about you know, land use and okay. land use policies. Okay. And the, but that, oh, so that was in Richmond. How long were you doing that for though? A long time. So I was on the design review board. I want to say like five or six years, I think. Um, and then the four years in El Cerrito planning commission. And then I was on the Richmond planning commission for eight years. Okay. Um, so I was first appointed by uh, now mayor, Gail, no, sorry, at the time, Mayor Gail McLaughlin, who's now back on city council. Right. Um, and then I, w I was reapplied and reappointed uh, four different two-year terms. So, okay. so eight consecutive years, after which I, I termed out and, and was no longer able to, to do that. So one of the things that I shudder to think about um, with respect to local politics, and I'm wondering when you got your first, you know, real, like, understanding of just how severe it can be is is nimbyism right it's, it's like bad. there there has to be there has to be an aspect of local a, a, anything you know all, any aspect all local politics must be just hum along you know with this this this, this current of tension because of you know nimbyism and was that was that a was that a condition that you saw when you were involved with the planning commissions? And, oh, absolutely! And right. it was bad. E even in El Cerrito, um, I remember. You know, it was like er almost every project was. You know, um, if if someone was say coming in and they wanted to, you know, do an addition to their home, and again, El Cerrito was mostly mostly smaller projects that were getting done because they're just they're, they're, the the econ the economy wasn't roaring yet, and um, you know, so you had someone who was like putting a second story on their house. Uh, putting a you know a deck in the backyard something like that you know put go, building an addition into the the encroaching into the city's right of way uh -huh. and you would have a bunch of neighbors come out and um, you know so it was kind of small scale nimbyism but you know they were oh this they're gonna look into my backyard you know or you know th this is gonna ruin the block you know right th these, ruin th the this, block, th yeah. what they're proposing is totally inconsistent with. With the, every with we get the character of of our street, you know, right. Um, and then I had seen probably prior to that, honestly, because I, I had been somewhat involved in well, like Richmond Design Review Board, and and Point Richmond is is just one of the worst places about, um, you know, if if if, if, if the classic nimbyism where where you got your house, you got your view of the bay, and you know someone. God forbid wants to build on the lot across the street. Right. And it's yeah. like everyone, all of a sudden, I mean, I have seen these like battles. I don't know if you remember, um, uh, Paige Pullis and, and you know, they, they, they were, that battle became so pitched that, um, ultimately, and there, there were some big political players involved. Um, 
that they they kind of decided to this this was about development of of a beachfront property just uh-huh. for for a single family residence um and so ultimately they they got their project approved but they were so turned off by the nastiness and it got nasty yeah that they they sold it they left they never came back and they said this place is horrible right. and it was i mean it was like so 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 it's kind of nimbyism on that small level and then you know yes i n- then i experienced larger projects um, but it's that know. nimbyism you know at a at a relentless level on the small scale you know just happening over and over and over again one small you know local very micro local you know situation at a time ultimately leads to a housing shortage absolutely you know that's, that's why we're here that's why we're here <laughs> you know so yeah. so you got you got to see and everyone thinks it's that's the problem everyone yeah. thinks it's there but it's my backyard right you know right. Uh, you know of course i'm in favor of housing but right but you, you, not but, here yeah, yeah it's really an yeah. interesting thing and i see on social media that's where an awful lot of this toxicity comes from is people's either they uh, uh, either it's an agenda that's known to them or it's not even known to them it's just they they just have an agenda that they haven't really examined they're not self-aware of yeah and it's an interesting thing so so you you were um so you so here you are in the the planning commission getting your first sense of what it's like to be involved really in public service yeah yeah absolutely and and the planning commission is kind of the 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 classic forum i mean this is what the intent is 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 for you know, a, a public hearing yeah. for, and, and there are certain projects that trigger it, right? There, there are some things that, that are below the threshold of having to come to the planning commission. But, but if a project meets certain criteria, um, you know, it ha- they have to come to the planning commission. It's a public, it's a noticed public hearing yes. um, that allows for the public to come and express their either support or disfavor with a project. Yeah. And so it frequently, it frequently becomes, you know, the, the forum for, for NIMBYs, to, to come and contest a project. And, and frequently, you know, it results in a project being denied um, right. or, or, or being conditioned in a way that, that makes it so challenging to build um, that, you know, it dies. Right. And, um, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm in disfavor of the planning commission. I think what, what's, what's frustrating is that, that NIMBYs are using the, these, you know, tools and like CEQA to, to, prevent projects that, that are really good and needed, you know? Right. And, and they're, they're, it's easy, it's become easy to do, you know, all you have, to, you know, you, you throw a lawsuit out there and all of a sudden, you know, it entangles these projects to the point where, where they frequently just kind of wither and die. And that's yeah. what's happening in Richmond right now. Yeah. So, so you, so you were very much involved in let's, let's get to, let's get to this race. Okay. Let's talk about you know, local politics and your interest and get to the, elef- the elephant yeah. in the room. Yeah. What, <laughs> what you want to do here? What, what is your goal here? Because, um, you've seen what your dad's gone through, which has yeah. been, I'm sure difficult for you and the family at times. And yet, and yet here you are finally willing to run for city council. So why now? What, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, just what you said is I, I certainly have seen it. It's, it's a lot of it is really off putting. Um, as it happens, I, I spent a large part of the day, the last few days feuding, uh, pu- publicly on social media with, with a pretty powerful local politician. <laughs> and <it> kind of <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's something that, that I think I, I, I have thought about pretty seriously for, for some time now. And, and by some time, I mean, you know, several years that I, I, you know, 
I, I knew that I was sort of building the resume, I guess, if you will, to and, and the experience, which I think is yeah. really important because a, a lot of people going into politics lack, lack that experience or understanding that I think is crucial to have to actually be of value, be of service. Right. Um, and um, so, so I, you know, I've been, I've been doing the hard work, right? I, I, I spent eight, 12 years total on, on planning commission in two different cities. Um, I did the design review board. I've, you know, I've either chaired or been the president of or set on boards for, for, you know, probably a dozen local um, organizations, agencies, nonprofits, you know, um, the Richmond Art Center, Solar Richmond. Um, I'm the president of, of, of a really good and one of the oldest nonprofits in Richmond that deals with something that I'm totally unfamiliar with or was prior to getting into it, which is early childhood mental health. Oh, really? Um, and so, you know, I kind of, I, and I just, you know, I've, I've, I, I've spent most of my life here. I've watched my dad pour most of his life into trying to be positively transformative and then also watched, watched him get it entangled politically in a way that, that currently, um, you know, there are forces that, that um, you know, are, are basically trying to completely undo his entire legacy and paint him as something really different than what he is, you know? Right. Um, and, and that hurts. And, and I think that's probably part of why I'm doing this. Honestly, it's not all of why I'm doing it, but, but yeah. there's certainly an aspect that, that is, um, a desire to, to, um, sort of stand up for my father's legacy, you know, and not have it just sort of be washed away as he's termed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to continue the, the, the things that he, that he started and that he cares about. Um, uh-huh. but mostly, you know, it, it comes down to me being really passionate about this city and this place and the people that live here and um, wanting to think, thinking maybe presumptuously that, that I have the experience and the wherewithal yeah. to get in there and be effective um, in a way that I don't think some of the other people who are either on council now or are running um, – have and and you know again maybe that's maybe that's ego i don't know for for me it's just i think you know i think richmond is has gone in a really um rather unfortunate direction and is is being uh led by a group of people who are are passionate but but misguided um and you know i i really want to get in there and kind of set things in the right direction and and and, Uh and and see richmond this is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's probably not something that's going to happen even in, in my tenure. But but right. but I, I still think, and I have always thought, like my dad did before me, that Richmond has a ton of potential. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things that, that – ideas that I have that I that I think, you know, if I can get along with people and, and you know, build, um, you know, build coalition that we can we can get it done and, mm-hmm. and focus on, on those things and, and not try to, you know – do all these things that are, that are unrelated to, to Richmond's success. So, what is what is your dad's legacy then? What is what what are the aspects of your dad's legacy that you are aligned with and would like to see you know continue forward? And and where 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 is Richmond stuck now? Because uh, you know, as I said at the outset of this conversation. This won't be a debate. I'm not a political yeah. commentator, but actually, I'm I'm a Richmond resident. That's kind of why we're here, right? Right. But, and the RPA, 
of course, is a, a major player, and there's an awful lot of tension around their influence and their agenda. And but you're everyone is essentially a Democrat, right? Uh, well, that's actually not true. The the, huh. the RPA, um, even though they some of them um, might be registered Democrats, they they really identify as um, as something entirely different, which is which is. Um, you know, more the Green Party, I think Gail's Green Party. Um, a lot of them are Green Party or independent. Um, okay. they, 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 it's interesting because I they, shouldn't have they, said Democrat. She said left leaning, heavily left leaning. Okay. Yeah. Let's just go back to your dad's legacy, though. And, and what are the things that resonate with you, uh, you know, as, as being things that you, you would like to carry forward that he started that, that you think it's, yeah. it's unfair that they're being dismantled or, you know, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, a, a lot, a lot of that, it's, it's kind of come to a head around point Malati, but, yeah. but, and, and we, but we can get into that maybe a little bit later, but, but, um, <laughs> but, but that, that actually is an anecdote for, for, I think some of what we both share is, is a passion and, and what he certainly has left as a, as a legacy that I think will be, will be impactful for a long time. Um, and that is celebrating and um, really um, leveraging history, right? And and specifically um, the the because we're both architects and and you know he's got this passion that, that I share and actually my wife that that's what she does for a living is uh, around historic historic buildings. Yeah. Um, so you know you you've got some real success stories that my dad was like the biggest player in and and that 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 were political battles that that inevitably he prevailed in um mm. despite a lot of uh alignment you know against it and th and that is the creation of the world war ii uh rose of the river world war ii homefront national park you know okay. i mean the fact that that richmond has this national park that people come from all over the world you know they have their little visas and they you know they go to yosemite and they go to yellowstone and they come to richmond to get their thing stamped and learn about you know the role that this city yeah. played in, in winning world war ii um and uh you know and there's a lot of really cool things around that there you know there, there's a visitor center but there's also um you know there are entire neighborhoods that have been preserved and that that are that are will, will for a long time uh be there to tell this story which is which is an important story in our history yes um and so um you know point Malati is another place that 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 was this really unique cool history um the, of of wine haven this building you know this not building it was a whole town built after the 1906 earthquake when all all the winemakers in san francisco lost their buildings and they they pulled their assets and they created this 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 massive complex to make wine. But it, you know they all lived there. It had a fire station and and cottages and you know this this unique wild brick castle building. Uh -huh. um, and there there has been an effort that my dad again has 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 if not led certainly played played a major role in in trying to um, do what he what he did around the Ford building. Um, and other historic structures in in Richmond, um, which is you know, see, find a way to to preserve it, to tell the story, to to maintain it, you know, yeah. for for future generations. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, it's now you know become this this major political, um, you know, uh, just 
issue that that people have chosen sides on and 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 it's gotten really nasty mm-hmm. and you know there there are several lawsuits around it now there basically there there was this project that that was the culmination of decades of of effort by by a lot of people who who were really passionate about seeing it succeed and and when the R, the the RPA and and some of their acolytes um have have vehemently opposed it, um, mm. and 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 the opposition seems to be mostly focused around, you know, I would think I am going to say nimbyism, but but basically it's this issue of there being housing out there, and okay. their 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 opposition to housing, to new housing that they've you know said is going to be um, basically for uh, you know wealthy white people. Um, is has become the you know the, the point of contention and to, to the point where they basically killed the project okay. after it was already approved. Um, they they now have full control of the council, so they use their political will to totally just shut this project down. Okay. After you know millions have been spent, they're on the finish line. The developer's ready to start going. They've got a they've got a um, a, a local developer who redid the Ford building, Eddie Orton, who. Um, was it, it was going to was going to restore and redevelop mm-hmm. and breathe new life into the historic village, mm-hmm. and then they were going to build, you know, um, basically condos a lot like like out at uh, Brickyard Cove, okay, um, in in this area that that had been you know used for for oil storage for for during World War Two, okay, and uh, and so the, the, it's it's just become this pitched battle which wow. which is. You know, honestly, the, the the big loser is Richmond, and and yeah, it could um, cost Richmond a fortune, from what I'm oh, it could reading. Co- yeah, it could bankrupt Richmond easily. Wow, it's just and, and and you know, likely will, frankly. Wow, and so that's your that's the district you're running for, right? So technically, that is in District Two, which okay. I'm running to represent. Yeah. Okay, and and I can see why you want to get involved. Yeah, and and that that's not. I mean. That, I, I am passionate about that. Certainly, I, that's not necessarily like the reason that I'm running. Sure. Um, but but I it is something that I definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, and and that's a that that probably is like one of the legacy projects that my father has pursued. That's now basically you know being being burned, um, and he's he can only just watch it just being destroyed. You know, I f- I find it absolutely impossible to get information that's on that's not biased either way right I, I just I, I don't know where to look I'll tell you where I can't look is social media where can I get real information about this because that seems to be the problem nowadays with with this compounded effect of social media and with the way society has just been, you know, with the identity politics and with all of the, you know, these considerably difficult aspects of modern life, you know, there doesn't seem to be any way to get uh, objective. We're not all listening to the same news. So how do we, how do we as residents approach an understanding on what's best for the city of Richmond? So, that's a great question and an incredibly important one. It's one that, that I actually had that someone had asked on social media today um, okay. because there there is a lot of, you know, um, I would say propaganda um, kind of on both sides. And um, I think it's challenging because 
that that that's a ver- there's a lot of noise around that and and you really have to dig deep to get between that and um i think um and and media these days is not to say the least is not what it once was so there so there's really bad coverage that you know i i think a lot of the the reporters just aren't you know frankly as good or they're not spending as much time to actually you know dig deep and and find the story and and do 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 the real work and and you know mm-hmm. bringing the story to to people um well they're competing with social media well, exactly and so i think you got to do i i guess the answer lies in you you and it's not everyone has time to do this but you kind of got to do your own research you do like you know i mean Right. For an issue like Point Melody or, or anything in Richmond, but specifically that, I think there are, you know, you can talk to people who have been involved with it on either side. Um, the, the city actually has a fair amount of information on their website because it's such a big project. So yeah. you can go back and look at look at reports, look at meeting minutes. I mean, it, that's that's hard to do. It takes a lot of time. And I'm not suggesting that you do that. But right. but I think, um, you know, there there are articles um but you know they they tend to be uh slanted one way or the other oftentimes and so i i think right. um the, the probably the best way is just to talk to people that are involved that, that are knowledgeable about it on on both sides right, and, okay. and you know try to kind of figure out what the facts are and and i think you know you mentioned well our are, is the is the other group the RPA just you know are they just lying about things and making things up, is it all is it all a false narrative? Yes. Um, frankly, I think largely it is, and they are doing that. Mm. But there there is, it's not totally without merit, and and there there a lot of the people that that are involved in that are are so passionate about it that I think they tend to sort of have blinders and and perhaps the other side is is similarly positioned um but um you know basically what it comes down to is is there there's a narrative that 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 group is telling that that this is kind of like the last bit of open space you know in the whole bay area and this fight to save it is like the most important fight ever and similar to like, you know, the fight to save the Marin headlands, right, which was yeah. slated for development or, you know, the the the, um, the East Bay Hills, which were slated for development. Yeah. The big difference is, is that th- this was a naval fuel depot for many years. It was basically the, the definition of a brownfield, meaning it was highly contaminated. It had heavy industry there mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Um, yeah. Going back historically, you know, there was a there was a Chinese shrimp camp there on the beach. Um, there were there were Native American villages there. Um, there were really no trees to speak of, even up up until you know the early development of the area. It was basically just you know it was it was rolling grassy hills that came down into into the bay. Uh-huh. Um, and it is a beautiful place. I mean, there there is no doubt about it. You go out there now. I don't know if you've been there recently, but but yeah, um, I have. You know, it it's. I it's think not, everyone's been there recently because yeah. of the barbecue place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's but, brought you know, a lot there, of there, there there are a ton of osprey who who, who that nest there. Um, um, there, you know, there, there are there are hawks. There supposedly there was a bald eagle out there. I haven't seen one, but but I don't discount that that there was. There there's there are eelgrass beds. There are otters and seals and sure. you know various flora and fauna. 
and um, you know that that that's not nothing, and and I think that that it's important to to appreciate and try to preserve that. Yeah. Um, but I think that 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 can be done and still have the 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 added benefit of uh, restoring the historic village, m- making it a place that that you know is alive again, where people live and work, and the, and right. it, uh, you know it it. It brings much needed revenue to the city. It brings jobs to the city. It brings construction jobs, mm-hmm. and it provides housing, which you well know. You know we're in a major deficit that that is that is impacting the the greater region in a really negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could have a world class housing development out there that was done in a way that was you know it could be responsible. The, the green yes sure. environmentally socially responsible i mean it, it you know it doesn't necessarily have to be you know um all super super expensive uh homes you know there right. there, there may be a way to do it where, where you could actually have you know i think ideally it would be a, a mix of incomes you know i think that would be the ideal way to do it but but the the opposition group which the rpa is is very closely aligned to, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's several groups. It's, it's actually the Sierra club who, who, um, you know, nationally and historically is a great organization Fantastic. has done some phenomenal things, but locally is, is led by a group of kind of radical people that, that actually Norman LaForce, who's been the lead guy forever, um, who ran and lost for the East Bay park district election, you know, ha- has a record of being anti, uh, active recreation. So he, he, he's a, he's, he has gone on the record to oppose dog parks and bicyclists and paddlers and sailboarders and kayakers. He, he really has this, for whatever reason, this idea of preserving these natural habitats just for, for the creatures in them forever and ever and doesn't want people in them, which I think is, is silly and inappropriate, especially for a place like this that, that again, is, is not this, like, untouched you know, pristine, pristine wilderness. wilderness. No, yeah, you I have mean, Chevron sitting up there. You got by Chevron the way. right next door. <laughs> Which and you know, so, so the, the the main issues. I, I think the real issue is that no one wants housing. These guys don't want housing out there. Um, they they the narrative, frankly, largely false narrative that has been perpetrated is that, you know, that there is this risk of if if there were ever a fire or a Chevron explosion that you know these people would be trapped there'd be no way out you know they'd all die and that's just totally resp- irresponsible but you know th- that that has all been looked at extensively in study after study after study right. and and proven that, that that's not accurate um, and you know and then there's well the impact to the eelgrass beds or the ospreys again it's all been studied you know there there California has the the strictest laws around development um, with CEQA and that that really mitigate any real impact that that a project would have on on the environment and but right. but they're just they, they they refuse to to even enter into mm. a dialogue that that well, maybe we could do all these things and do them well and do them right okay um, so there's just it's just this this pitched battle with yeah. with n- seemingly no no ability to reach any kind of common ground meanwhile yeah. we're in a situation where as you said it could well bankrupt the city of richmond and 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 you know and we think about the uh, you know the the, the less well off citizens of richmond and where where's the benefit for any of yeah. them in all of this I, yeah no, I, that that's a great point and that, and that that to me honestly aside from from the fact that i that i i, I 
it, it saddens me to see this potential of a great project that that would you know see this historic village maintained preserved that that's going to go away and just be totally i think unachievable um but but yeah the the fact that richmond still has it wrestles with you know with with serious economic depression you know yeah. but both with families that that are struggling below the poverty line um, you know, black and brown families predominantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and with neighborhoods that, that have been just neglected and abandoned for, for decades, for my, for my whole life. Right. And I'm 48 and there are large, large areas of Richmond that you drive down through, you know, whether it's McDonald Avenue, the historic downtown main street or cutting Boulevard or, or Barrett that the, you know, you just see blocks and blocks of derelict abandoned buildings that are boarded up and that are falling apart. And right. you see mattresses on the sidewalk and piles of debris and homeless encampments. And, um, you know, it sure would be nice to see some of the money, thought and effort going into that and addressing that real problem that is impacting people's real lives mm-hmm. than, you know, on, on preventing housing at Point Melati. Yeah. And that I, just gets, that just gets me so riled up and it just pisses me off, Declan. It's it, that, that's why I'm running for council is because I think these idiots are, are taking us in a really dangerous direction. That's going to do nothing but, but negatively impact the, the future of the city. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't see much happening. You know, the only thing that happens is you know, as housing becomes unaffordable closer into San Francisco, you, you get people moving up this direction, which we often call gentrification. And, and that's just a consequence of, of the overall, you know, housing shortage in the Bay Area. But I, I look at like, because I live on South 42nd Street, and um, I'm certainly the minority ethnicity on my two blocks that we live on. I bet. And, uh, and but I love my street. And, and, um, and I, I, I look at McDonald. And I had been living in Albany, and Solano Avenue is so vibrant, so alive. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you just can't help but, but wonder why there's no investment in, in McDonald's. Why is there no Main Street? Main Street's, th- listen, you know, the value of property closer to a Main Street now is higher than it ever was. Oh, yeah. I, I think, arguably, you know, price per square foot in the Berkeley Hills has taken a big decline as people increasingly see value in being able we call it the million dollar latte in being able to walk to a physical location nearby to their home yep. and so main streets are main streets mean something to people uh, again and you know um and uh, you know i just i don't see anything happening uh, and we have this argument over uh point Milade and the whole thing seems so meaningless to you know to the to the two blocks that i live on on south 42nd street it, it, we're so disengaged yeah. from or aware of this this whole point Milati thing. People, I think a lot of people just don't get it, and and they're like, "What is the deal with Point Milati? Why why is that all anyone talks about? Why is that where all the energy goes? You know, we've got serious problems in Richmond, yeah. and we've got people that need serious solutions. And I think I think the vast majority of Richmonders are like just tired of hearing about point Milati. They, they, they want their trash to be picked up and they want police to come when they call and they want like basic quality of life issues to be addressed. You right. know, right. that's not happening. Right. I think it's a major problem. Um, th- yeah. that, that's, that's one of the things I intend to, to focus on. Um, you know, if, if, if I were so fortunate or unfortunate to be, get elected to city council, one um, of the people we, we 
talked about, you know, is, I, well, I'm reading this book, I told you, uh, written by uh, a guy named Peter Richardson, and it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a kind of a biography of the literary journey of Hunter Thompson. You, have, uh, you and I have talked about right, Hunter S. Right. Thompson a lot because he hung out in Point Richmond, and he was good friends with uh, one of the mayors uh, in the 60s. That's right. Uh, who was a mayor that, that bucked the trend in terms of philosophy around, you know, uh, being the mayor of a city like like Richmond, da- David he, Pierce, the hippie mayor. David of, of Pierce, Richmond. the hippie mayor. Yeah. He was, and he was so disillusioned by the whole thing that he, he actually he left sent, the country and never came back. That's right. But he did build parks, and he he was interested in providing for the greater community, not just some, yeah. not just you know some segment of. I don't know, you know, yeah. and and who are your influences? Because I know you like that guy, and yeah. and you know, who are your other influences that you could point to in terms of w- where you see yourself as now, you know, a politician getting into the yeah. political field? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, you know, um, I mean, certainly my father is one, right? That that's the obvious one. Watching him learn and sort of transition. To, to to um, you know maybe compromising some of what some of his own values and the effort of, of getting getting things done politically uh-huh. you know um, for example around around you know issues like Chevron um, because when he for, first really prior to getting in politics but on the ramp up um, you know he, he was like really engaged um, with Chevron. Um, against that you know they they were um i mean and, and my dad's always kind of he he's been good with words and good written words and and he always kind of had this humor approach to it which i think you know was a was a a, a good tact that kind of you know you could always sort of like laugh yeah. at it. um it's so chevron things. had a i think this is in the 80s they had a campaign called people do and they you know they ran ads and uh, commercials and magazine ads you know and it was like about restoring coral reefs you know do people really care enough about you know the the aquatic environment people do chevron you know and he he had a had a i think it was before web media but but he he did a whole like campaign like called people don't <laughs> and he just right. you know pointed out that right. the hypocrisy you know that, that this corporation was was running this campaign a very effective campaign for them yeah. but meanwhile you know that they they were flaring and polluting you know black and brown communities in richmond and um you know using every everything within their power to to uh-huh. to make money on the backs of these communities that that were fence line communities um but you know much later in his career and and then when that mayoral you campa- campaign you mentioned, which was a really big deal, you know, it was on national news. Right. Um, everyone was talking about it, and and interestingly, interestingly, and maybe a little ironically, at that in that campaign, he he and the RPA um, were were really uh, allies, and and he he wasn't an RPA, uh, you know participant but but they basically sort of campaigned together um there, there was a lot of money put toward uh nat bates who's who's been on the council for for decades now and is 91 running for mayor now uh-huh. um there's there's a documentary around that called nat bates for mayor that might be worth watching um but you know it was it, he he was i don't know if i'd say anti-chevron but he was very much working to hold them accountable okay and um and now i think partially because of this this deep rift with the rpa and just being Mm. so pissed off about what they've done since they've taken power Mm. um you know he's been much more 
receptive to um, to working with Chevron and their allies to to you know to you know to right. get things done, get them out of get these guys out of here because they're just not you know they're they're just not doing good things. I think in Richmond, you know, I mean, I, there's the obvious ones, you know, John F. Kennedy, right? I mean, right. just like the, these these uh, you know just historic figures that that were I think great in their own way, in their own place, in their own time. Um, you know, FDR, you know, did, you know, built yeah. the national park system. I mean, how freaking great is that? Um, right. You know, he got that there were some things that you just had to do because they were so important for, for history and for our nation and for our future. Right. And, and, you know, but, but, you know, a lot of those things came with, with an understanding that, that you also have to work with disparate groups. You've got to compromise. Yeah. You, you, I think you, br- people who brought, intelligence and um really a keen understanding of 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 a of a problem and a, and how you get to a solution um were you know impressive to me which richmond is sorely in need of right now because you sorely have in need. you have almost it feels like uh, warring factions and they're so busy fighting that meanwhile you know nobody's taking care of the child in the room, you know, like the, you like know, the, that, the that, residents are just, you're at, that, 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 that I've, that's an incredibly apt yeah. uh, analogy. Yeah. That, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. And, and, and like, I'm, I'm a combatant in this now. Right. And, right. and, and I, I'm hoping that, uh, that I'm fighting the good fight. I mean, my, my campaign poster got one in the window over there. Yes. Um, you know, it says I, I got, I, I reached out to people on social media and said, Hey, be critical of this. You know, if you, if you got issues, let me know. And you know, so it says, uh, embracing our diversity, fighting for our common values, which I really like. Um, and a lot of people said, Oh, you know, you shouldn't use the word fighting. You know, that just come, it's got negative connotations, but I feel right. like we're in, we're in, I'm, we're in a fight for the future of Richmond. And, and I'm, I'm a, I see myself as a, Maybe reluctantly, but as a combatant, you know, and I'm, I'm, I want to, I, I feel like it's worth fighting for, you know, the future yeah. of my children, for, for my community, um, you know, for this city, the people in it, because a lot of the people on the other side of this fight don't live in Richmond, which yeah. is disturbing to me. You know, you've got a lot of people that, that are in El Cerrito and Berkeley, even, even sometimes out of state that, that see this um, as, as their battle to like, you know, and, and, and I think they genuinely feel like this is, this is a battle worth fighting, you know, for the, the but a lot of them have been, been, uh, conditioned, con- conditioned, uh, influenced in, into this again, false narrative that like back to, you know, with Point Melody, this is, this is the last pristine bit of coast on the in the whole west coast and this is worth fighting for and so they are they're fighting for it or in the rpas um in their in their camp point melody isn't something that they really cared that much about but but i think they they see that it's a fight that's going to be a potential win them some political alliances um and stay in power and use it as a wedge issue but 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 their their fight and again i think that most of them are it's it's not about ego or anything. It's it's about something that they truly believe in. Mm-hmm. But but they're, they're they're somewhere between socialist communist. Um, they they some of them the leadership. You know, Gail McLaughlin, um, uh, David Parker, who passed away recently, um, mm-hmm. Andre Soto. You know, they 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 see themselves as like 
the the Cuban resistance. Like they they want mm. they want Richmond to be. This is where we're going to plant our flag of the socialist utopia and show mm. the world that it works. Mm. And you know, so so, which, which like fundamentally, I don't have an issue with. Right. What I have an issue with is is that they they now have full and total control of the city because they've got four out of seven seats on the council. Um, and they've pushed this agenda that I feel and a lot of other people feel, um, is, is ill thought through, mm-hmm. um, poorly executed, mm-hmm. um, without the input of, of, you know, the voters and the people of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's, it has shown to, to result in some pretty horrible um, outcomes for the city, you know? You're right, right. I can so, tell, like, rent yeah. control is one. And again, yeah. fundamentally, I don't have an issue. We have rent control at a state level already. Um, but but that's resulted in in a couple of things. Specifically, you know, there, there are not a lot of, you know, big corporate landowner, uh, you know, uh, apartment type, uh, you know, corporate owners in Richmond. I, You've got I, a lot of mom and pops, people who yeah, you do. mostly of color, who, 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 who put all their life savings into, you know, investing in, in some rental property, you know, maybe it's a fourplex, maybe it's a few houses, um, you know, right. all throughout Richmond and, and they're just totally being screwed over, you know, and, and yes. not only that, but, but it, it has totally disincentivized any investment in Richmond. No one wants to come in here and build housing. No one wants to come here and, and acquire and fix up and, and repair and provide apartments because mm-hmm. the, 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 the powers that be mm-hmm. detest those people mm-hmm. and, and are, and are making it absolutely impossible to, to successfully do that. And it, it's just, you know, the net, the net outcome is a loss for Richmond, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can rattle off some of the things that are like the the hot spots that 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 I'm aware of that are unique to Richmond. We have, you know, we have Point Bellotti, as you know, we have the whole actual Marina Bay and and the the area over there that yeah. is, you know, I I I I don't understand. There's like a half a boardwalk near one of the restaurants down right. there. I'm like, it's why is this not? On. Why did why did nobody want to? I don't. I have no idea. I, I, I can tell you why, because it's polluted. But but and let, let me let me just real quickly <laughs> pa, pause you, and then I'm gonna press play again in a minute because um, you brought up an interesting. Um, so Marina Bay is is a lot like Point Melati in that it was it was an it was it was part of the shipyards. Yeah. That, so so and as a result of that, it was polluted pretty extensively. You know, not yes. like not like radioactive stuff, but but you know. Uh, oil and and lead and things like that heavy right. metals um it was cleaned up in in you know in the 80s uh, there there was really one family that that was behind most of it the, the pose um they're not around anymore but um they they basically they cleaned it up they they had a, a plan that that you know the community was involved in that that was to you know predominantly do housing there yeah but also that they had an idea of doing this village right at the boardwalk area you mentioned never been never never yet, got developed never, never got developed um but they they cleaned up this brownfield a former yeah. shipyard um they used a finance mechanism very similar to what was proposed at point melody called a mellow roost bond yes where basically um you know they they they, they create these bonds they 
they they sell the bonds the and the bonds pay for for um you know for the development of the project and then they get paid back the, the city isn't on the hook for any of it um and you know it doesn't cost the city any money but but you know in the end they've got this project that, that provided a ton of housing redevelops this area on the shoreline you know it's kind of a win-win-win mm-hmm. the only thing i don't like about it is it is it's predominantly a gated community um right. which, which you know is out of favor now thankfully but but you know it just that, that well the we talked about of, norms a, a little while back and, yeah and you know what was normal then seems yeah. like no longer so, to be so the the the, uh, the the irony is that one of the um the the biggest um political players that has come about pretty recently in the point Milati in the effort to to stop development there and do something different in this case they've now got a plan to make it into you know a park which if it works great i don't think it's gonna and i think it's gonna gonna cost the city a lot of money and and uh, stress but but john joy who's who's a he's been a, a, a county supervisor for about 25 years so you know a quarter of a century um and he has recently aligned himself with the rpa and the group that that, that has opposed development of point Milati. but you know he lives in a gated one of those gated communities on the water in Marina Bay. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, he, he, he is doing everything within his power to see that, that something like that doesn't happen over in Point Melody, which, which I think is, is just woefully ironic. But um, I can concede that, yeah, that that's yeah. A kind of an irony and, there. Yeah, sure. So, okay, back to press play. Yeah, so, your, so we have, uh, you know, we have this, uh, we, we have those things along the shoreline. Uh, uh, we have Chevron as well, of course, which is a, a love-hate relationship for everybody in, in Richmond, I'm sure. Um, we didn't really talk too much about that. But then there's Hilltop Mall Saga. It's been going on for a long time. There's the general disenfranchisement of, you know, a, a, a lot of the people in the community where I live over South 42nd Street around Kennedy High School area. Yeah. And, and then we have, you know, seemingly utter neglect for our main streets that were once you know wonderfully thriving places i'm yeah. sure well, have, have you seen photos of, of yeah. mcdonald avenue even up, yeah. up until the i mean it, it was totally developed and thriving as early as like 1915 1920 it was like yeah built out you know just bustling right yeah. every other door was you know a restaurant a shop uh, yeah. whatever and and that 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 it continued to thrive and and grow and be this really lively place you know up until probably the the early 60s mid 60s mm-hmm. and 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 then it, you know started along with with the ship you know building going away and all that kind of started started a pretty rapid decline that, mm-hmm. that just went that just nosedived into like what utter neglect is exactly that that's the most descriptive term you know and then hilltop was built that was kind of the the nail in the casket um that that just sort of like the the last shops that were still hanging on there you know when hilltop was built they they just all shut her down and and then it just it just died and it's been dead since you know um i mean there's been some glimmers of hope like um probably the the best is um, the the East Bay Center for Performing Arts, which which you know um, is yeah. a great organization, they they were able to raise a bunch of money, re- rehab that old historic building, yeah. um, you know, and then Kaiser, you know, they they built their 
course, they started in Richmond, but they they, they built their big hospital there. Yeah. Um, there there is there has been, and I was on the board for a few years, um, an organization called Richmond Main Street, uh-huh. with the goal of revitalizing Richmond's Main Street. Yes. Um, and and they actually successfully created a um a a business improvement district that that basically all the businesses within a specific defined area mostly along mcdonald avenue yeah pay into and so what they've been able to do is they they put on you know a concert series and things like that but but they they have never been able to to you know breathe life back into that main street right and, and right and i i think i know how to do it really but, so what, but, what is your overarching vision you know what is it? What is it that you that that you see for Richmond? If if you if you could have your way yeah. and you could just paint whatever you wanted, how do you see it? How would it look? How would it feel? Well, I think the simple answer is um, it would be a, a a healthy, vibrant place that, uh-huh. that 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 is thriving. That that people feel really good about being in. You know, think about like you mentioned Solano Avenue, right? Yeah. You go to Solano Avenue, and you know it's got some great right every every other door is a phenomenal restaurant right um it just it it's alive it looks nice people take care to keep the, their shop fronts you know looking good yeah They're, they have the stroll right and it's just like it's it is alive and it's healthy yeah. right and so it's the opposite of mcdonald avenue right it um, is truly so that the, uh, interestingly i don't know if we've got time for it but but I've, i i do have i put a lot of thought into into the question you're asking and and I think I'm the only candidate running that's actually got a plan. Um, I, I have a 10-point, I call it my 10-point plan to improve Richmond. It, is it up and running on a website? Oh, it's up on the website, yeah. Okay, I'll link, right I'll link to the I'll, website. Uh, Where would yeah, people sorry, find it? My website is not, maybe by the time this airs, my website will be up. I have a website. It's not quite ready for prime time. It okay. needs some finishing touches. It'll be... I think it's andrewbuttforrichmond.com. Okay. Um, but I, 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 I am somewhat to mine, probably to many others, uh, chagrin, pretty active on, on social media, really just Facebook. And so yeah. I've got, I've got a Facebook site that, that probably a few years ago when I was on the planning commission, I was thinking, you know, if I ever do decide to take this to the next level, yeah. um, it would probably be good to, to like kind of go ahead and, and set up a, a, a social media website um, uh-huh. that I can sort of post my ideas and thoughts to and share share things that I think might be of interest to people. So I, it was um, Andrew Butt, Richmond Planning Commissioner or something like that. Um, you know, as like a public, uh, what do you call it? A, a, public, a public page. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, public page, a pu- public figure. Okay, um, there you go. So when I, when I, when I came out, the the day after they they made the final decision on how they were going to divide up the districts and I and I saw that I will be in a district I can run because it, it was that wasn't certain until the last minute um, okay whole another story but um I, I came out and said okay I'm running for district two I was the first to to jump in the race and I changed my web my my Facebook page from Andrew Butt Richmond Planning Commissioner to uh, Andrew Butt for City Council, Richmond City Council District 2. So I'm pretty active on that. I just post mostly, mm-hmm. you know, I, I share, like I got my 10-point plan for improving Richmond there, um, and I pinned it to the top of the page so it's easy to find. Um, and I just, you know, I share things that I think are either of interest to me or that I think would be of interest to, to uh, you know, people in Richmond. Huh. Um, okay. 
I want to just ask you because we're going to have to wrap up, and it's ridiculous. Okay, we just we just have so much to talk about. This yeah, oh yeah, we time. could go. Like I feel like we barely scratched the surface. It, it, <laughs> I know because we'll have to talk again. But if I were to hop online right now yeah. and, and start, you know, scanning social media and looking into, you know, any anywhere where you're active in Facebook, what would be the false narratives I would encounter? most frequently that irritate the heck out of you. Yeah, that well, I'm glad, I, I guess I'm glad you asked. Um, it, it, it is so irritating that I don't really like to talk about it, but but there, there are a lot out there. Um, certainly there, there's the Point Melati false narrative that doesn't directly involve me, but I've been a, a very engaged participant and a lot of, of really, hef, really, um, you know, pretty, pretty, um, in some, in some case, I, mean, I, try, I try not to get, to go too negative, but sometimes I get so, you know, like I said, like sometimes it just makes my blood boil, and, sure. I, and I'll, you know, I'll, I will unapologetically, um, you know, maybe write something that that I may regret later. Um, but uh, you know, so so that, so that's certainly we talked about the false narratives around that. I don't, don't need to get more into that. But I think the biggest one that irks me the most is there's this whole um, narrative out there about you know the Butt family dynasty, and and that that. It pisses me off so bad just thinking about this because it, it, it's been the whole RPA group and their supporters and allies have really pushed this. Um, there's actually they've they've gotten articles written in like the East Bay Express around mm. it, um, and the narrative goes something like you know that 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 my family starting with my father and my brother and me um, are are you know we're we're only in this this being you know Richmond politics or you know to at, to to, at, to serve our own interests right. and and you know we're, we're all about just making money and using our role in in richmond politics to to do that and only that and and then there's this kind of sidebar that, that i think is kind of humorous actually because it's it's so blatantly false that um that we are somehow involved that we we're we're heavily invested in in marijuana and that we've got you know all these um, marijuana cultivation oh, projects that are that that we're you know that that are somehow we're we're actually investors in and and all this and oh, it's just funny but 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 you know it, it's it, there's enough truth to it that that it's it's actually had real reporters like write stories about it um and 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 the truth is that you know my brother's an attorney lives and works in richmond my dad and i are architects um you know and marijuana is legal it was voted you know sure. overwhelmingly supported by the state and by the people of richmond mm -hmm. and um you know and it's totally legal i have no issue with it whatsoever right um and and I you know we we have worked for business people who are trying to get building permits and trying to get good projects accomplished you know right. that meet the the law and the building codes and are safe and work well and are well designed and I'm proud of that Th these people have twisted that into this literal false narrative huh. um, that 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 is it's just out there and and it comes up all the time and and I have to you know. Um, uh, tell them what's really going on and it's just you know it's interesting it's just and that kind okay. of thing it seems like it's very prevalent in politics is there, there's a lot of 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 uh, propaganda that, uh -huh. that 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 tries to paint people in a bad way that, that absolutely no and i mean you know the truth is i would say the vast majority of uh richmond residents um are not spending a whole lot of time 
on social media watching the fight between the RPA and the Butt family. And, and the, they're smart for that. Y- you know, well, I think they're just too busy living their lives well, wondering when things too. will improve. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think, I think um, you know, what you just said, I think the vast majority of people really just, um, they, they're tired of the fighting. They, they just, you know, they, they want to see their city and the, and the city's representatives just getting business done, you know? Yeah. Stop with the bullshit. Stop, yeah. stop with the tit for tat. And, and I totally get that. Um, yeah. it, I, I, because I'm passionate about it, um, it's hard for me to bite my tongue, yeah. you know? And, and, you know, I, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm fight, I'm fighting for, um, for my city and for what I believe in. And, and, you know, I, I I'm not gonna stop fighting, but, but also I, I agree that, that I don't think it does a dis, I think it's a disservice to the city and the people of Richmond that, um, that there, this, you know, there's this ongoing, just, you know, kind of nasty feud, but, but that's the way, sadly, that's, that has been Richmond politics for a very long time. Well, long before the RPA even was a thing. Okay. Uh, it's just, you know, before the RPA, there were other factions that, <laughs> well, look, we'll wrap it up. I mean, all I can say is that you, uh, you, since I've known you, as we said at the top of the conversation, you've just been somebody who was interested in making a, a, a greater, a better community and living and being a participant in a better community. That's all I've ever seen from you. And so I'm sure your head's in the right place, your heart's in the right place. So, so spend a little less time um, with the trolls and more time out here, you know, actually with, with the people. And, and uh, I'm, sure you will, I'm sure you'll do really well. And I look forward to talking uh, when you're successful. And anytime you want to talk about this, um, I'd be happy to. What, what day is the election again? What? It's November fourth. November fourth. Yeah, okay, so just I gotta, a few months away. Yeah, I got to do my homework. My you know my first election year, so I'm excited. I'm very grateful for your time. And again, let's just the the where can people reach you? Yeah, so you can go to my website, which should be up uh, really any day now. It's uh, andrewbuttforrichmond.com, right. and uh, my, my uh, campaign uh, committee is, is the committee to elect Andrew Butt for City Council District 2, 2022. It's a mouthful, but, but that, there are rules around that it has to contain certain things. Um, and then you can, you can find me, on unfortunately, on Facebook if you're on there, um, either at my personal account, just Andrew Butt, or um, Andrew Butt for Richmond City Council District 2. All right, well, brilliant. I uh, wish you success with it. Don't, uh, uh, don't, don't lose control of your sanity.